0: Hello and welcome to the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson, I'm the founder of Stack, and this week I'm speaking to Suze Obrick, the editor of Some Such Stories. Suze came over to the Stack office right at the start of the year, and I loved speaking to her about the making of her annual literary journal. I'd never met her before, and I always find it totally fascinating to compare my understanding of a magazine to an editor or a publisher's actual experiences in making it. Sue speaks very openly in this one about her selection process in commissioning writers and the really quite instinctual approach she takes to pulling it all together knowing, for example, when there's just one more story she needs to complete the collection as you'll hear in our conversation this is a magazine that really does look a lot like a paperback book i think there are like four black and white photos throughout the whole thing so i'm not going to put pictures up on the stack blog like i normally would this is a magazine that you really just need to sit down and read and i hope this conversation makes you want to do exactly that Hey, Suze, thank you very much for coming over. Our first podcast interview of 2019.
1: Oh, well, wonderful way to start the year. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I, I always like to get people to just talk through, for anyone who hasn't seen some such stories, what is This Thing?
1: Um, this Thing is a annual um, journal of essays and short stories and creative nonfiction and now a poem um, that... Um, It's intended to offer up um, some insight into contemporary experiences of culture, nature, sex, society, spirituality, sort of a full contemporary experience. Um, It's intended to allow space for contemplation and reflection and to engender curiosity to help people understand each other um, a little more in some small way. Lots of grand ambitions, but it's also meant to be fun. It's meant to be entertaining.
0: And it totally is, and the, and and also, I think, it is the contemporary experience, but from quite a particular set of perspectives. So, the so when I think of some such stories, I think of uh, women, people of color, people who so you know, speaking as a straight white man, hello, they're like people who I might not otherwise come across, but with this real kind of intimacy. That I just think I think it fits the the like the the package just really beautifully.
1: I mean, it's that's something we've not been asked. I have not been asked about before, and it's also something that there is there was the um, there was the notion that I was going to offer up space, or we were going to offer up space for people that perhaps didn't get published as much as others. So it's sort of rebalancing, but it's never been. I've never sat there and looked at the commit like who I'm commissioning and thought like, right, we'll have that person, that person, that person. It's also voices that you're drawn to or voices that perhaps fit the the culture of the magazine. But then when you do go back and look at the list of, of who you've had, it's nice to feel that perhaps you've um, have redressed some sort of balance in editorial.
0: So So maybe tell us a bit about this process then. So so you're actually going out and commissioning stories rather than these being submissions that are coming into you.
1: As far as print goes, because there is also a digital component, I mean and actually it's the same for the digital. There are thematic briefs, so for this issue, issue four, it was redemption. and so what will happen is an editorial prompt will go out to a list of writers that I've worked with or people that I would like to write for us. and then people will respond to that. And so most of the pieces come out of a conversation. People send in ideas, like pitch ideas. Sometimes it's going up to a specific writer or going after them and saying, look, I read this on X and you wrote that beautifully. Would you mind looking at it from this angle for us? And occasionally there is the odd just submission that comes in and it and it fits a theme perfectly or I'll hold on to it for a while. Um, but yeah, that's how it works.
0: And I think that, so another... Um the thing that I'd say characterises the magazine—I almost said book because it looks so much like a book—but we, we'll talk about that in a minute. But the, but that characterises the magazine is, I think, within this range of perspectives and within the theme, you also get a real variety of of, of uh, styles and and like the feelings that you get from it. So, so from this latest one, um, there's a piece by Octavia Brights. Uh, who writes this like r- incredibly personal piece on um, addiction and recovery? And then, like a couple of stories later, you've got this uh, again like amazing piece by Kieran Yates, who is writing about experiences of you know like women of color, but using this like fan fiction thing that draws in like the girl from the end of Jungle Book. Like I, I just think it's it, it's both of them are so clever and good, but in very different ways. The, like, how, how much is that something that you try to set out from the start?
1: I mean, it's the thing of, I guess, offering um, tonal shifts throughout the title, because, you know, you're going through one, say, perhaps Octavia's piece, which is poetic and beautiful and very profound and moving. And you sort of, I know it's one I will reread and reread and reread. Um, and then, like you're saying, the contrast between that and Kieran's, which is, on the surface it looks you know it's like pop culture it's quite short um looking at you know the real motivations behind Ursula the sea witch antagonizing Ariel but actually like you're saying there are so many levels to it and that's also incredibly profound once you gaze in but as far as going through there's a mood it's a shift of mood when I'm looking at the issue and putting it together and putting the pieces in order or as I did this year just I knew I was sort of out of commissioning budget, but I was like, but we just need two more things. <laughs> and I didn't know exactly what those two things would be, but I knew that there was there was it wasn't the picture wasn't complete. So it's sort of trying to balance that, I suppose that's that's how it works. It's sort of a feeling of what is I don't know, there's probably some emotional graphic chart journey that I could do if I was clever enough. But there's it's that really. It's trying to, you know, like you say, a rounded experience.
0: And when you're pulling this whole thing together, and you know that you you know that you're missing something in there, what is it that is kind of your guiding light with that? What what is it that you're trying to hit with this that, that you're reaching for?
1: It's sometimes it mostly. I mean, I have to admit, it'll come through um, through engaging with culture, other culture. So I'll be reading a bit of a novel and I'll be like, oh, it's that, or a poem and it's that, or walk into a gallery and be like, why haven't I thought of that from this angle? And with the redemption obviously, with the brief, that means that I've done, to do that, I've done, sort of spent a month with an idea that I've been prizing out and looking at all the different angles that I can have of it. So I do also have, you know, I'm like, okay, well we've not really touched upon sexuality enough from this angle, or mm-hmm. perhaps a technology element, this isn't what happened this time but that's another way, it gives me sort of I guess like a, it gives me. It gives me a, like a reference guide for that topic.
0: And you, interestingly mentioned a commissioning budget. Mm-hmm. So you're you're hang on wait a minute let me just check you're paying people to write things does that happen these days?
1: Oh my god yeah I know it's so <laughs> rare and we're not. A, we're not, you know, it's, it's a production company that funds it, um, so I do have budget, and that was stipulated at the beginning and they're very happy to do that, so Some Such Stories is funded well, it's a publishing arm of Some Such, which is um, a production company fantastic one that makes sort of documentaries and films and adverts and all sorts of great things and at the beginning, the, for them, the reasoning was that they wanted to put the money where their mouth is, where you know, storytelling is concerned um, and at the beginning, perhaps, we're looking at synergy between that and short film scripts but it just didn't, it's gone off on its own path and now you're saying it kind of looks like a book so it's a bit of an odd match but it's not like underneath the the sort of the values are the very much the same um, but yes yeah, so they kindly we have a budget that way so advertising funds it just not by being in the pages by they make adverts and then I have some money to pay for writing <laughs>
0: <laughs> so so how did this whole arrangement first come about how, how did you end up speaking to these guys and was it you went to them and said I've got to make this thing or they came to you saying we need this thing
1: um it was so I used to as well as um being a journalist I used to produce film so i met them in that respect at a certain point i'd sit in and cover their head of music video when she went on holiday and and so i knew them in that way and when they were reading their website about three or four years ago um sally and tim ho and the company who you know they're big magazine lovers there's magazines all over the office and they were like you know what we we want to do so we don't want a company blog but we want some like good writing and what could that be and because at the same time I was thinking about, well, what is missing? What do I do when i got time to read and it's not for a pitch? And I, I would go and hover around The Atlantic or M Plus One or The New Yorker and sort of look for those long reads. Um, and I sort of presented this idea of, like, maybe we'll have some short stories. And it kind of slowly, we com- did it for about six months online before doing any social media and then slowly kind of worked out. At the beginning, it was a lot of submissions and then slowly developed this th- thematic thing. And it's grown from there,
0: really. Have you seen uh, Zoetrope magazine? I
1: have, yeah, I love that, I love that. I think I got that through Stack, in fact, about 18 months ago. Okay, I wasn't
0: fishing for that, but okay, good, I'm glad. it was
1: a joy, because I hadn't come across it, and I never would have, so, yeah.
0: So so I think I'm right in saying, so it's Francis Ford Coppola's magazine, and I think I'm right in saying, he started in, like, the 90s or something, Mm. and part of the deal is that when you're published in Zoetrope, they have like the first go at the film rights to your short story. So actually, the, this kind of thing that feeds another business, but it, it ends up with this amazing print magazine. So I just mentioned that mm-hmm. I nearly called this a book. Yeah. Because, it, I mean, it is to all sense and purposes a paperback book. Mm-hmm. So what are your decisions in arriving at that? Why is this the right format for you?
1: It was, I mean, at the very beginning when we did our first collection, so issue one was a collection of online pieces and then from issues two, three and four we were, we've sort of gone into thematic journals um, of new material only. The It was meant to be tactile. It was meant to be sort of pocket size and you could... Carry it around, and I think with bigger magazines, or I find with some of the ones that I absolutely adore, let's like say Tank, can't really just have it around with you. <laughs> so you want people to be able to dip in and out of them, and it's just it's it feels good. It does. It's the right size to flip through. The print is slightly larger, which I know makes a lot of people happy because also you're not like peering into it. Um, and as far as this issue, I just I just kept commissioning again. I just and then I realised, okay, well we've got more heft here. And, and I don't think it matters too much. I mean, there's lots of titles out there that, you know, are vast in different ways. And I think being book size is, is handy for us.
0: Do, does it affect the way that people, I mean, like literally physically come across it? So, for example, in a shop, uh, if I were a shop owner and I've got some books and I've got some magazines, I'd probably yeah. put this with the books.
1: Yeah, that's funny. It does it shows up in different places. I mean <laughs> it's funny to see it on a magazine rack. I'd love I love going around London and seeing it in places. But it looked, you know what it looks great. I popped into Magculture to my favourite shops and looked great there. It looked great that LLB had tucked it somewhere down with some other You know, review titles, and then you walk into Burley Fisher and it's among the books. And I think, you know what? It can just get away with it. It's like a little chameleon, it's fine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I take it, you're probably. Yeah. very directly involved in actually getting it to those places the are, are you do you have a distributor or are you actually doing that stuff yourself
1: yeah so it's a mix of, of both I mean we have, do work with distributors but I also do quite a lot of door-to-door sales in that it makes it sound <laughs> not so up glamorous with your
0: wheelie bag of yeah. magazines yeah well not quite <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah so we work with there was a brilliant distributor because I just looked at who distributed my you know magazines that I adored like say like repost and you know and when they decided to work with us because it was so early on I would just like over I mean, blown away that anyone would would want to help but then I also read something um yeah that I read the publishing playbook and it did say that you need to push your distributor and that you need to make personal relationships and I love any excuse to go into a bookshop or a magazine shop I'm so happy so they gave us a list of some people but I also we got into foils because I just went up and had a chat and it's the same with the LRB and some of our bookshops don't really work with distributors and I'll do this thing where I'll chance it and send it to a couple of extra Stores on spec sometimes but try to have a copy in my bag and when I'm going around London then if I see a store just go and have a chat and I think that's a nice way of you know you go in when you've got a new issue and it's really exciting and to sort of talk about it
0: Ah, Absolutely and and so so a a quick mention then to the publishing playbook which Mm -hmm. if uh, anyone's listening to this and they're interested you can just search publishing playbook and it's all free and you can access it and you should definitely read it what aside from that have you learned over your years of doing this that you would say right if there's an aspiring magazine maker out there Mm -hmm. this is what they should know in advance
1: patience is such a virtue (laughs) (laughs) i think that's one of the biggest learning curves i mean is time getting your head around time if you've worked as whatever industry you worked I guess people that make feature films and write actual books would have a better idea of this but I was coming at it from digital journalism background and working for digital filmmakers and working out that to be able to get something in stores, say for example in america you need to have it shipping three months before and you need to have done this paperwork and i'm that's a sort of time is one thing i've also learned that every issue something will go wrong and <laughs> however much you try and get it out for a certain day you will miss that and you need to let go of that and be very zen about it and it doesn't matter if it's november not october because something needed reprinting because a black failed or you know somebody changed their mind about it. so there's always going to be a thing and i think with this issue i learned to just let it go I was like okay everything's changed that's fine <laughs> which is why we're out in November in the UK and January in the US because we had a bit of a delay but that doesn't doesn't matter it's
0: fine well, and, and like in a very real way so mm-hmm. you know that would matter if you had advertising in there mm-hmm. and like you know your advertisers need to be out by a certain time but it doesn't matter for you and I think that too many People making magazines get wrapped up in sort of the things that matter for other magazines. I mean, there's enough to get stressed about. F- you've figured out that it actually it doesn't really matter if this comes out a couple of months later somewhere else.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think like you're right in that. At the beginning, I spent a lot of time looking at how other magazines work, or listening to, religiously listening to podcasts about all sorts of other magazines, and you know, going in and reading everything I could. And I think at once you've done it a little while, you do need a bit of distance. Um, so you're not aping other people. But every magazine's journey is so, so, so different. And I think even at the beginning with this, I thought I had a look at the White Review and I said, like, well, it- Hang on, they've been going seven years, and plus um, and plus one, it was about 11. I was like, OK, Christ, this is a long process then. Because that's one of the things with this at the beginning was always longevity. Like if we're going to do it, I'd like it to be around. It might take 20 years to find an audience, but you just want it to be good enough that it will. And so I've had to sort of, you know, let it do its own thing, like I say.
0: And you, so I think interestingly as well, so you're doing all of this work on the print version but you also have the website, which is where it all kind of came from. Mm-hmm. You still have the website there and there's still lots of stuff that people can go and read for free.
1: Yeah, which is wonderful. And I, I love that it's still there. It's this gorgeous archive that'll, i you know, move around from time to time. Um... And yeah, it gave us a lot. I think as a testing ground, it worked really well, and especially at the beginning. So figures, we didn't have... Again, I'm in this incredibly privileged position of having funding without having to account for exact figures and hit, hit numbers. So we had a lot more experimentation time, I think. Um, and after a while, doing the print and the website side by side, you sort of realise that, it take, you know, very different things will engage people in very different ways. And so with the site, you can do things like, you know, run a sex column, which was amazing by Ellie Goldstone and does really, really well online. But it took me a while to realise that actually that's how it is. And the website is where we do reactive essays to things like, you know, Trump being voted in or or me too whereas with the book with print people are going to have this object and it has to be a whole world and the pieces have to feed in and in a very different way to create an experience that is worthwhile and worth somebody spending that money and having it around and perhaps wanting to go back to it in about six months time and I hope people revisit the website especially as some of the writers that we have been lucky enough to work with get better known I think we've got a couple of uh, contributors who have got incredible novels coming out this year. And then it's nice when that happens that people get excited about the online stuff again and go back and revisit their earlier work.
0: That's really nice. Same for us. I mean, we've been publishing for over 10 years, like putting stuff up. And when we look back, some of the best performing pieces of content for us were written like three years ago Mm -hmm. or something, but it just, it stays there. So we're speaking right at the start of 2019 Uh, this issue has been out here in the UK for a month and a bit. It's coming out in the US very soon. So what is coming up for the rest of this year?
1: Well, firstly, we've got our American release, which is in uh, just under four weeks. So that's really exciting because we've got um, a bigger distributor. and We'll be in a lot more stores in the US, which is, you know, m- more potential readers. And it's just very exciting to be in in stores and places I've never been to or never heard of, that <laughs> always makes me really happy. Um, and then we it's a slow burner. Like we hope it finds fans. It's an annual... It'll, it was commissioned to still be relevant nine months to 18 months, if not longer, down the line. So it's again, it's like, you, know, you can pick up a novel at six, nine months. It doesn't really matter so much. So hopefully the relevance will hold. And then the um, the whole process from commissioning or getting the theme through delivery and getting into stores takes almost a year anyway i found and again it's that thing of just letting going with the process and being very good about time is i don't think i can hurry that anyway um so a new idea once this one's had its the end of its promotional life cycle i'd say and it's just left to do its own thing in the stores then i'll start thinking of another theme and try and see what we can do next but i mean we're just happy to let it develop as it does and hope that people would like to spend time with it i think
0: Lovely. Well, thank you very much for coming in. uh, And I'm already looking forward to seeing what this next one is going to bring.
1: Brilliant. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. I always wanted to be on this
0: podcast. Okay, that's all for this week. Of course, I'd like to say thanks again to Suze for coming over and speaking about some such stories. Lots of the people who listen to these podcasts are involved with making independent magazines. And if that's you, I'd like to point you towards our event we've got coming up in London on Tuesday, the 22nd of January, focusing on how to make an independent magazine. We've got the people behind some of our favourite magazines coming along to share their experiences of handling stuff like commissioning, financing and distribution. So if you're going to be in town, book your ticket for just £6 and join us to hear from Elizabeth Crone from Sabats and Suspira, Helen Jennings from The Tal, and last week's guest on this podcast, Caspian Whistler from A Profound Waste of Time. You can find all the details on the Stack blog or, of course, if you have any questions about that or anything else we do at Stack, just drop me a line on steve at stackmagazines.com and I'd be very happy to help you out. Thank you very much for listening to this one and we'll be back with another episode next week.